Welcome to the Green Phoenix's Mylar, my look at recovery. This is a podcast that will be focusing on mental health, understanding recovery, and restoring a voice to those who it has been taken from. Good afternoon and welcome back to my look at recovery. We are joined once again with the infamous pastor Larry Grayway and his love of pizza. Today we're going to change things up a little bit from last quarter. Kind of let him take the reins a little more last time. And this time I'm going to take him back a little bit more and teach about what I know. Um, regarding the recovery journey, the the five stages of recovery. And each episode, we're going to focus on one aspect of that. And I'm going to essentially teach you, Larry, so that you can help me figure out where the gaps are between what I think people know and what they actually know, because for me, it's kind of hard. Okay. Before you jump into that process tell me where you learned it and you know kind of where it comes from because I know you didn't come up with these five stages so we need to make sure we we give credit where it comes from but basically you know I know you've done some training Uh, I know you've went through recovery process yourself but you've also went through some training to uh, help your peers and be a peer support specialist so you learned a lot of this in more detail. So tell a little bit about that as you get ready to jump in. This is why you're here. I know we talked about it briefly in the last episode and I didn't even think about reiterating it this one. But as you mentioned, I went to CPS training, Certified Peer Specialist Training in December of 2014 actually attended the Georgia Peer Support Institute, which is kind of a precursor to CPS training that you don't necessarily have to go through, but it kind of gets your feet wet if you're on the fence about whether to go. And thing was, I'd actually applied to both at the same time. So I got to attend both because you can't attend Gypsy after you've attended CPS training. And the whole purpose of that training is to learn more about recovery and about how you can better support other people or your peers that are going through a similar journey. The five stages story that I learned from was by someone named Patricia Deegan. She is an individual who was living with schizophrenia, was diagnosed, I wanna say, right after high school or right after she started college. And then a few years later, she ran into a young gentleman at a conference for people with disabilities who had sustained a catastrophic injury and I believe he was paraplegic, might've been quadriplegic. And they started talking about their journeys and recognized a similarity in how their journey progressed. And in the training that I received, they broke her story down into five separate parts to illustrate the five stages of recovery. And so just a quick recap, the first stage is life is limited. 
or excuse me, uh, impact of illness is the first stage, which is what we'll be talking about today. The second stage is life is limited, then change is possible, committed to change, and then finally actions for change. And like I said, today we're going to be starting with the impact of illness, or as this episode is titled, or the project that I developed to kind of help illustrate this project. This part is identity stolen. So essentially, the best way to describe it is you're going through life and things are going fairly well. All of a sudden, something happens in your life that changes how you view yourself. So it could be that you experience a mental breakdown, psychotic break, get into a car accident and injure your spine. It could also be something like losing a parent or losing a job. Anything that is going to impact how you see yourself. And that's why it's called the impact of the illness. So do you have any questions about that before we go too much further? So just just to clarify, it's called impact of the illness mm-hmm. that's the way it was described to me yes okay um and you, you threw some things out there that that i maybe want to make sure we're clear because you mentioned it's it's really impact of a situation because yes it does some of those things that you mentioned aren't necessarily illnesses true um and maybe I'm just splitting hairs with it a little bit, but but really it's a life-changing event. And how you respond to that life-changing event is what these steps or stages are about, kind of like the grieving process along those lines, that there is a process that most people will go through. Um, I know we're gonna cover one each week, Mm-hmm. Can you list them out for me real quick, and then I have a question for you. So, again, the first stage is the impact of illness. Then you have life is limited, change is possible, committed to change, actions for change. Okay. So, those, unlike the stages of grief, the stages of grief you can go through in any order. So, you might experience anger at first and then might go through loss usually acceptance is last but you might go through these different stages of uh, of emotional grief at any time i'm assuming the steps that you're talking about are kind of in an order this is where things kind of differentiate from what i learned in the book sense versus what I have experienced through my own life. One clarification I want to make is when I learned this, it was solely focused on the illness injury side of things. They didn't really discuss how this model can be used to talk about things like a loss or talk about anything in your life that changes how you see yourself and alters the way that your life moves forward. 
that's more of my own takeaway based on the things that I have lived through and learned okay. over the last seven and a half years. Okay. Um, what was the second part of your question? Sorry. Basically, it wasn't really a second part. It was more, do these stages fall in order? That is a very good question. When I first learned this, I truly believed it was a linear progression. So it would be like if you were in a video game, not so much the old school games, maybe because you couldn't really save your progress before. Whereas now you're going along and you get through level one, you save your progress, and then you pick up from level two. Mm -hmm. I don't really think that's necessarily how it goes. I used to believe that that last stage, the actions were changed, was this shining beacon on the hill that we were working towards. And once we hit that, life was going to be sunshine and puppies. Things were still going to be hard, but it didn't matter because we had arrived at the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. I've since come to learn that you can be at a different stage in different parts in your life. And just because you progress further along doesn't mean that impact isn't going to come back and hit you again. And the thing is that you don't really lose everything. So if we go back to the video game analogy. If you look at the old school video games like the Nintendo or Atari, once you stop that game, you lost all your progress. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays you get to save that progress and you get to pick up and you get to take everything that you learned. Even in the old school, you took everything that you learned. So even if you get knocked back to level one, you don't lose all your experience. Mm-hmm. You take that with you and you keep going forward. So sometimes you can go from the impact of illness and skip over the life is limited, see that hope fairly quickly, get that commitment and start on the actions fairly quickly. Other times you get stuck in different parts. So like I mentioned, uh, the title of this episode is Identity Stolen. And a few years ago, I believe it was 2018, was when I did the the original project was called Hello My Name Is because that's what the name tag said. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind it was I had had this image in my head for many years and I still want to pull it off that I was going to illustrate the five stages in a series of photos using my own recovery as a guide. And the impact phase for me has always been when people found out I had a mental illness. I was like the key thing for me because all of a sudden I was no longer a person. I was now a diagnosis. And so with that project, you start with the name tag and it just says the person's name because that is who they are and that's how you identify them. And then you progress further and it's all the clinical terms and diagnosis that they've been given and it's this cold, sterile, this is who you are. And then it progresses into the negative self-talk and the words and phrases that people use that really do become part of your internal dialogue that puts you down and keeps you down. And then the last part of that is a little broader. It's 
to illustrate how it feels when we see the way the media portrays people with mental illness, when it portrays the news, especially anytime there's a mass shooting, and if it is a white male, the first thing that seems to come out is, we need to lock up all the crazy people. Okay. Truth is, people with a severe mental illness are four times more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than they are to be the perpetrator. And more often than not, the people they are most dangerous to is themselves, not the people around them. So does that help you gain a better understanding? I think so. Um, so basically, what you're talking about is how a person identifies themselves and then how people identify them. You're looking at both sides of that, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. Now, we all hate stereotypes and stigmas. Yes. Trying to think of the best way to put this. So let me ask you this question. This popped into my head. This may or may not. And if it's not the right time to ask this, how do you define identity? Where, where do you... How do you define what people sense as their identity? What, it, what would you say that is? You know me well enough to know this is something I am struggling with myself right now. Because for so long, so much of my life, I have tried to base my identity off of what I thought people wanted me to be. I wanted to be the person that I thought I was supposed to be, and now I'm trying to figure out who I actually am when I, when I tear back all the layers and it's just me. Who is it that I am? Who is it that I want to be? And I think what happens, and, and this is true for everybody, we put on a, a facade, a mask, mm -hmm. to hide who we really are because we're vulnerable. And when we take that mask off to show the world, there's a vulnerability to it. So if we put this mask on, we put this facade on, because I think on some level, everybody is trying to put out a persona to be accepted. And I think the finding your identity is a very personal journey, but I think it's also defined by the people you associate with. You, you've said this to me multiple times, and I think you're right, because I've noticed that it really, the people that you associate with really do have an impact on how you see yourself and how you act and interact. The danger comes when you act differently around different, people, different groups of people and sure. you want to keep those groups separated because then you're not really being true to yourself. You're still trying to be that person for that sure. group. Sure, Okay, I knew this was a loaded question. Identity is something that's hard to define for each individual person. Uh, we spent the whole last quarter talking about leadership, growth, knowing your whys, and all those kind of things. It all comes back to a core place. How do you see yourself and 
how do you view, how do you think other people view you and where are you basing your values and at the core of who you are? I know being a pastor, I bring things back to faith, but that's at the core of who I am. Everything springs out from that. Whether you're a Christian or not, or whatever faith you might be, there is something at the core of who you are that defines your actions. We've tried to, psychologists have tried to for a long time to erase a moral boundary, but there is a moral boundary that we live by because there's a standard of life and living and where we base our principles, that core foundation of who we are, is the beginning of our identity. It's the beginning of, it lays the foundation for us figuring out how we fit, where we fit, and who we are in that. It's interesting how you you phrase that. Because a, a few days ago, I, I had a conversation with somebody about core beliefs. Okay. And trying to, to identify what my core beliefs are. And one of the things that we talked about was how are those core beliefs developed? And the truth is that a lot of that is developed at a very young age. It's based off the people that were important to you, that hopefully gave you the encouragement and support that you needed, but the core people that were around you shaped and developed how you thought, how you believed, how you saw the world. This kind of goes back to the trash can speech that I've done a few times, where if we're looking at what everybody can look at and say that is a a silver trash can like one of those old-fashioned ones you used to see on the street corners but if you grew up your whole life and your family and the caregivers and the people you looked up to said that that was not silver that was red well then that's what you're going to believe because you're trusting these people they're the ones that are taking care of you they're the ones that love you that mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden you, you go and you're presented with the truth that no, that's not red, that's silver. You're gonna dig your heels in and say, no, you're wrong because that's not what you know. Mm-hmm. But over time and through a lot of work and quite frankly, a lot of pain, you can start to dig out some of those lies that were a part of your core beliefs and change them. And in doing that, it helps change you. Mm-hmm. And while I don't typically talk very much about my faith because I'm still trying to figure it out, I really do believe that's where God comes in. And it even says it in the Bible more than once. The one that sticks out to me at the moment, I'm probably going to get it wrong, is Romans 12, 2, I believe. Okay. Where Paul talks about changing your thoughts will change your mind. Changing your mind will change how you believe, and that's when you become a new person. Yeah, basically the renewing of your mind, allowing God to renew your mind, to to change the way you think. We all have a belief system. Even an atheist has a belief system. Yes. And we base our 
at the core of who we are, we base those decisions and the things. And most people have a general sense of right or wrong. Take out even the, you know, we, we talk a lot about how the Bible has been that basis for, you know, the foundation of a lot of things, especially in our country. But the truth is, is yeah, that the Bible and what God said in that is, is very foundational. But if you look at it across even people that have never seen the Bible or anything, there is a general belief system that's there of what's right and wrong. We generally believe that it's wrong to kill someone just because we want to. Yeah. Um, we generally, you know, so there are things we generally think stealing is wrong. But those core beliefs and who we are, and I know we kind of sidetracked a little bit. I want to, I'll, I'll steer us back in. But it goes to that whole identity thing. How do we see ourselves? How do we perceive, perceive that others see us? And you're right. A lot of people, I call them social chameleons, that they can walk into any social setting and fit in as if they've always belonged there. But in at home or in their private places, they have no real identity of their own because they've spent their time. Uh, you see this with actors sometimes. People that play roles a lot have a hard time separating those roles sometimes from their personal lives because they've done them for so long and it becomes a part of who they are. They become a part of the role, the role becomes a part of them. And they lose a little bit of their identity in that and it starts to become their identity. So when you have a life-changing experience where that rocks you is it rocks you at those core beliefs, at that that view of where you've seen yourself or who you are. And sometimes that's a good challenge because maybe what you had or that perception of yourself or what you believed was in error, or maybe it caused you to question what you believed and what those core things were. And that's where the, the crisis comes in. That's where people struggle to overcome that. And that challenge isn't always bad. That tension isn't always bad. It can help us define who we are if we have the right people in our lives to help us kind of ask the right questions. Do you disagree with that? Where do you think that goes? And how does that fit into your process? What, what would you, how would you teach somebody that's at a place of identity crisis after one of the quotes and they had it up on the wall and it wasn't attributed to an author so I don't know who said this but it really stuck with me there is no growth in the comfort zone and there is no comfort in the growth zone mm -hmm. and one of the things that I think most people seem to forget is that your comfort zone isn't always comforting. You can be miserable and comfortable in your misery mm -hmm. because you're so afraid of the unknown, of stepping out, of changing because you don't know if it's going to be better and it could be worse. So there is a risk involved. So sometimes, and this is why you get stuck, you get comfortable with your misery and yeah you're miserable and you hate it 
and you don't want to be like that, but you're not ready to take that step out. And I think that's kind of where that fits in. And that's why the, the support is important. And we didn't really talk about this, and I don't have the chart that gives all the specifics in front of me. But it's so important, and that's kind of where the stuff that we were talking about in that last quarter, especially the connecting with people, is so important. And having a really strong root in your support system and knowing what parts of your support system you can turn to for certain things because not everybody's going to be equipped to handle different things. So before we wrap this up, I have a question for you because I have found that the best way to ensure that the person has learned something is for them to teach it back. So I just want you to give a quick synopsis of what you think the impact of illness stage is. Based on what we've talked about today, the impact of illness is how it affects you at the core level where it, it knocks you off your axis a little bit and sends you reeling. It's kind of like if you're walking somewhere and somebody bumps into you and you stumble back and you lose your footing, you get disoriented, you get knocked off. That's where that impact of illness is. It's that disorienting event. Maybe you've been like a car crash and everything's ringing and maybe you don't even realize where you're at and kind of lose a sense of reality and, and, and spatial awareness. I think that's really kind of the best way to describe what that impact of illness is. It's something that sends you reeling and you're not quite sure what to do with it. Is that a pretty good definition? I would say based on my belief structure that that is a phenomenal description because it illustrates that it's not just an illness, it's not just an injury, but that impact can affect anybody regardless of whether or not they're dealing with a chronic illness, whether they're dealing with a catastrophic injury. It can be something as simple as getting knocked off course it doesn't have to be a lifelong journey. Everybody is recovering from something and you helped show that in a way that was very eloquently spoken. Thank I guess you. that's why you get paid to speak. Sometimes. Look, it is something that everybody deals with on some level at some point in their life. Whether that's through the effects of a mental illness it's a little bit, it depends on when it comes up and how it, 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 it's shaped because you take somebody that has struggled with a mental illness the majority of their life, their identity has been so wrapped up in that, depending on how their family life or the people that were around them treated them with it as they grew up. And it goes back to the same thing for parenting and, and, uh, and anything else, you know, I worked in foster care for years. My master's is child protection, juvenile justice. I worked with a lot of kids that were in 
some very difficult environments and I watched them change as they got into stable environments, but there was still a lot of baggage that came along with that. If anybody listens to this and maybe you're a parent that has younger kids, maybe you're working with people that have younger kids or whatever, it is so important that we encourage our kids in the right way to help them develop a proper self-identity. Now, I'm not talking about tell them how great they are, give them ribbons for everything they do, and spoil them to the point, because then that gives you a, everything is, everything can be judged on a pendulum. You got really hard, high on one end, and that's unhealthy, and you have really high on the other end, and that's unhealthy, and somewhere in the middle is healthy. Healthy praise with healthy discipline produces that even for somebody that struggles with mental illness they can have a much more balanced outlook and recovery if they have the right encouragement and the right uh i I don't want to use the word discipline but you know correction to say somebody that's strong enough and and willing enough to correct at the right time and loving and caring enough to encourage at the right time to put that. And we, we all struggle with it. At best, we when it comes to kids, we try not to damage them too badly. But um, that is a, a key part. And when you have somebody that goes through these illnesses or these impacts that already from their, their foundational level have been askew because maybe it's harder to overcome that outlook the sense of hopelessness is much greater for somebody that wasn't encouraged in the right ways growing up or maybe didn't have those parental figures or whatever it is, that's going to be a longer road and a bigger challenge. And so there's a lot to be said for those foundational moments in our lives. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. It doesn't mean that we can't change. I believe in the redemption of people, but people usually come to me when they hit rock bottom. And that's that's the that's the the place where they've been knocked off their axis or on well never mind. But um where they've been knocked off kilter and they don't know where to turn and maybe they had some spiritual, you know, some Christian in their life or foundation in that way and they they come to a pastor and say, can you help me with this? And they treat us like we're, we know psychology and, and we learn it a little bit as we go along. But it goes back to we're trying to refirm that foundation. At the core of recovery is rebuilding and reaffirming the foundation of who we are. I want to build on that for just a minute because it is important to build up the kids today. But everybody talks about how our children are our future. And that is not correct. Our elderly are our future. Because we are teaching our children today how to treat us based on how we treat the next generation. So it's important to remember when you have an adult who didn't have that, foundation who didn't have that support growing up and every generation it gets a little better thankfully but we still have a long way to go so you got to remember 
when you're talking to an adult who maybe didn't have that support, didn't have that encouragement, to be as patient as you are with that kid who is going through it now because you've got that kid still in there that is longing for that encouragement and that support and that reassurance buried under layers and layers of junk mm -hmm. that has just been piled on for so many years and you gotta dig down through it. And this is gonna be kind of gross, but it's an analogy that somebody gave me earlier. It's like when you have an abscess and depending on how deep that abscess is, they have to cut it out and they drain out all the gunk. And if it's really deep, they have to pack the wound mm -hmm. to help it heal and then clean all that out and keep going until they get it all out. And while you can't physically see all the pus mm -hmm. that's coming out from a mental wound, it is there and it's just as painful. And if you let it stay in there and you don't dig it all out, it's just going to regrow and refester and get even deeper down in there. It's definitely a, a process. And the deeper the wound, the deeper, uh, or the more that there is things that, are, that haven't been resolved in the past, the deeper those things go. It's a great analogy. Um, so basically, just to kind of sum up today, there are going to be times, especially for somebody that's recovering from mental health issues or other areas, there's going to be times in our lives when we have an impact that's going to send us reeling. These, or somebody in our family, somebody in our circle, uh, friend, family, whatever that may be, coworker, that's going to go through these deep events. The next few episodes are going to be about how we can be a part of the recovery process or maybe even in our own recovery, understanding that so that we know that we the, the how to move towards that proper foundation. It's not going to be, look, the podcasts aren't going to solve the problems. They're more of identifying and, and showing that they're there and that there's a process that we go through. It's... The goal is to encourage discussion and really start talking about this stuff. And as we wrap up, I just want to point something out. Because a lot of times when we talk about this stuff and we talk about the impact, we're talking about the individual that it's directly hitting. But that impact, just like when you throw a pebble into a pond, creates ripples. Mm -hmm. And so the closer you are to that person, the more you're going to be directly impacted by it. So if you are someone that is in that impact, try to have a little bit of grace and understanding to the people around you. And remember, they may not be directly feeling what you're feeling, but they are feeling something and you do have an impact on them as well. Yes. Well, thank you. I hope this has been informative and encouraging and opens a discussion. But until next time, we're going to sign off.